Welcome to Direction Correct, a BYU's podcast with Cole and Scott. Today, Cole and Scott. Thanks to our sponsors, Orgnostic. Fast track the insights behind your people data using Orgnostic by connecting all your HR data in one people analytics platform. Quickly uncover the insights you need to measure the success of your people initiatives. Orgnostic is the most innovative people analytics generative AI, data orchestration, and employee listening tool on the market. To learn more, book a demo at orgnostic.com slash directionally correct. Hey guys, this was sort of an impromptu episode. We thought we were supposed to have a guest. They didn't show up. And so uh, apologies if it was sort of random, but it's also pretty awesome. So I hope you keep listening. I, I, I'm at my parents' place, right? And like, I, I love this small town life. Or It reminds me of Rustin so much. I, I'm driving to Austin later today. And mm-hmm. my car has been out of registration for like several months because, you know, I live in Seattle. My car is here. Um, yeah. so, so this morning I got up, I left the house about 730, drove to the uh, oil change place, got inspected mm-hmm. like five minutes, drove to the county tax office, had to wait for them to open at 8 a.m. In and out, probably about three minutes. I was back at the house, 45 minute total round trip. You, you can't do anything like that in a big city. It, it was so glorious. <laughs> yeah, I was like the the, glo- the glorious parts of small towns, like the it's the little things. Oh yeah, I was like, how much time am I going to actually miss from work today? You know, it's like, oh no, I'm like way early, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is what I miss about Rustin, man. Well, yeah, it's like what well, you're even on it, it, right now you're on central time. And so you're, you're like two hours early for work, if anything else, uh, when you're normally on Pacific time, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Are you two hours late? Uh, I'm, I'm early. So like, early, we're, yeah, we're recording at a specific time right now and it's two hours earlier on the, uh, Got it. Yeah. West coast. I, I typically try to adhere to the time zone that I'm in for work mm-hmm. schedule, but I kind of also just kind of work all the time as well. Yeah. I think um, sometimes when I'm doing mentoring, people ask me for advice about work-life balance. And I'm just like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, th- there's there's healthy work-life balance and there's like unhealthy work-life balance. Like if you are burnt out, stressed, hate your job, <laughs> by all means, take some time. Yeah. Take some time. But if, if like you're like chicks on a high, in flow, loving it, I mean, I think that brings you passion, right? Well, my big thing, I, I used to feel exactly the same way because I feel like there were better boundaries around my work. Um, I don't really know where work stops and my life begins yeah. now. And so I just, I, I struggle to, I mean, I don't really struggle. I just do it. And this is my life. And it's not really a big deal. <laughs> well, it's part of your identity, right? I mean, like your yeah. work becomes part of your identity. You, you invest so much time, energy, emotions in a lot of cases to getting it done, right? Getting it done. Getting it done. I mean, you, you drive a lot of meaning. I mean, we, we I, I talk about this all the time. It's pe- people need a fucking job to do. Right? Yeah. They need something to do. Like if you see someone that just like lays on the couch all day, like your college lackey friend, like they're miserable people. They're miserable people. Well, that's why I went on this riff, I think sort of with Toby last week. I didn't get into it too much, but I did get into it in a session I hosted the week before that, that Toby showed up to where like this whole movement for like work without jobs 
right? Or like jobs will cease to exist. I'm like, people need structure. Like yeah. this may be a really great idea to like compartmentalize things and to take more of a skills-based focus to jobs. And maybe we can deconstruct jobs in some ways, but people need a well, like let's call it a well-rounded unit of what they are at, at their work, right? Like I do these things, I don't do these things. I mean, we know this like yeah. role clarity is one of like, if you, if people are dissatisfied at your work, one of the like surefire ways you can increase their satisfaction is to give them role clarity, right? Well, that flies right in the face of like, well, we're just going to deconstruct all the jobs to where no one has any clarity on anything ever. And it's completely ambiguous. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't think that's going to work. I, I think it's going to lead to mass misery. Well, it, it works for, it works for children. Like children need structure. Like you can't just like let a child like run exactly. all over the house at all hours. Uh, pets need structure. I had a great dog who uh, was, you know, unfortunately like solely in the house until I got a job out of college and like, you know, I started leaving the house at a specific time, taking it out at a specific time, never had an issue since then. And like what you're talking about, like is related to jobs. You, you see this in call center workers. Like no wonder they fucking hate their job because like, there's a lot of times where they don't know their schedule more than three or four days in advance. They don't know that they're going to have definite weekends off. They don't know when their day it, it's, it's horrible. It yeah. could night shift, morning shift. Who knows? Well, I know I've said this on here before, but from an emotional labor standpoint, call center job, hardest job in the world. <laughs> it is like people just just being so terrible to you and then that you hang up the phone <laughs> and then immediately somebody starts being terrible to you again. And it's just all day. <laughs> well, you, and, and if you get really good at that, guess what? You get the most difficult calls. They're going to start routing them to you. Exactly. So now, now you get like, not only the person that's at an anger level of six, you get the eights and tens. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh man. Well, what, what's going on? Like, are you going to like football games and stuff or are you doing anything fun? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to Austin, going to meet some friends, uh, go to a football game. And, uh, I'm actually in your neck of the woods. Hopefully we can get together next week, do this in person. We'll see how that goes. Uh, it's going to be a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what the, uh, actual pod you, you call no, it? No, I mean like I, if we can get the technology to work correctly. Oh, 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 oh. yeah. I mean, I'm really still very skeptical if I can get this little bad boy back here to work. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what we need we need more things to look forward to i think that's it kind of goes hand in hand with like uh the job right like you and i need more things to look forward to we need to start like last year we went to louisiana for your birthday mm -hmm. did a great pod we got more technology now that's why we're called the technology bros that's what everyone on the street calls. Oh, we are. <laughs> oh god. No, no one's no one's ever said that. No, they haven't. I mean, we are. Um, I mean, I'm going to be embarrassed if this doesn't get accepted. We are doing a psyop submission to do another live one. <laughs> that's that's too far off though in the future. That is too know, far off to to um, look forward to. But I love you bringing up this point about having something to look forward to, and I, I want to bring it back to the podcast in a second. Second, but that's actually like one of my biggest motivators in life and in work. It's just something simple of like having a little thing that I'm, I'm looking forward to like that, that gets me out of bed in the morning. And when I don't have it is also like, Oh, oh yeah. God, this is, this is terrible. 
So I, I don't know. You're similar to that. I I think so. Like, g- give me an example. Do you have an example on top of your tongue? Oh sure. Like uh, I mean, I went to. I guess we probably didn't talk about this on the pod, but I went to Colorado for a week uh, back. Uh, I guess a month or so ago, maybe Damn. two months ago now. And had a, had a kind of got off the grid for a little while, which I was really looking forward to. I guess back to your point about like work life balance, and I don't really know where my life ends and my work begins mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. It was the first time I really felt like I wasn't working in years, and um, <laughs> I I was I was really looking forward to that because I just kind of completely kind of like did a technology unplug uh, somewhat, which was nice. Um, that was something I was looking forward to. I was looking forward to football season. Um, <laughs> that quickly got dashed because Louisiana Tech sucks this year. Um, <laughs> they, they battled. They battled Nebraska the other day, which I was oh, super proud that of. That's such a generous way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> what would you do in Colorado? I mean, like you don't use your phone. Like I don't know what you do if you don't have a phone on you. Like, well, I, mean, I I had a phone, but like I I kind of like consciously would like leave it in my room. I consciously yeah. just didn't get on my laptop. I'd go out on like long hikes, do stuff with my kids, like go into town, go for like little day trips and stuff like that. Uh, talk to him to like do like a little dinosaur thing that was fun um but uh yeah it was just like about unplugging everything but just kind of to bring it back to the podcast i mean what what would be something that we would look forward to like what would that even look like is it like a guest is it an activity is it like hey we're trying something new and that makes it exciting are we going to introduce any new segments like a waffle house but it's not a waffle house Oh man, like I, I think that I would I'd gravitate towards just live. It's it's like so much easier, more fun, and plus you know we get to see each other and this sort of stuff in person. Uh, guess we, I mean we have like several kind of lined up here. Um, you mentioned something yeah. else, so I'm losing my mind. Well, I mean let's talk about the live thing. So, on I mean I I, I feel this way. Um, if we can ever get you back in Texas full time. I would love it if we did it live every week in person. That would be amazing. <laughs> like that's my nirvana with the podcast. Does we could go like other places too and do it live, like conferences and stuff. But if that were like a regular thing, <laughs> yeah. Currently, it's like your bedroom, your kitchen, <laughs> yeah, your, your guest room. Well, I actually have an office now. Like the, the that's road why... trip. Oh, I haven't even been to your new house yet. Yeah, and I mean, I I, I did this consciously to, you know, if we ever wanted to throw a few thousand dollars down and turn it into like a podcast studio. That would be really cool. That would be cool. Hey man, something to look forward to clearly. Absolutely. I think it's fair to say our guest isn't showing up. Yeah. I I think that we're going to be flying solo today. So what you got for us? I pulled some things aside, some stuff we've had in the hopper for a long time. And, um, I guess we can kind of chat about them. like first thing. Have you seen the new video of the AI glasses that Meta's releasing? I just, I just saw a clip the other night. I mean, are these the are these VR things or are they something else? No, 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 no. They're they are uh, Ray Ban sunglasses. They look like normal sunglasses. So not not your crazy like headset mm. thing. But they have uh, AI assistant inside, so you can if you're like uh as they describe uh fixing your pipes under your sink you could ask it like hey how can i fix this 
you know, a torque wrench and it'll give you instructions on the fly. You can also live stream everything yeah. you're doing, which I wouldn't, I don't need everyone to be an influencer out there, even though, yeah, you know, 75% of people are out there, but this, this is finally, do you remember like the, the Google glasses, maybe like I 10 remember years Google ago? Glass. I remember there was like a huge backlash to Google glasses. <laughs> When they came out, but maybe maybe with uh, including new things like having the AI portion of it that, you know, you kind of like can ask it questions and answer in real time. And hopefully it doesn't get too like creepy too quickly, but uh, I mean, it could be cool. And the other thing is Google glasses looked ugly. Ray-Bans are stylish. <laughs> um, the uh, glass holes. They yeah, call them. exactly. There, there's like that little tiny, like itty bitty little screen, like just set off to the side of your face. Yeah, it's like it's no like one's gonna good. wear that. And like, no, no one's gonna wear. I I think that's cool. I, I I saw somebody talking about the other day. I have not seen the video, but I think I can kind of imagine what it, what it looks like. It, it looks legit. This is finally something that feels like wearable technology that you could actually uh, use. Who who knows if it actually yeah. works the way it's supposed to work? By the way, we're not. I, I am not going to say that I have any sort of knowledge other than a promo video. So yeah. all the promo videos work clearly. Well, let me ask you a question real quick, kind of on the AI front. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think? Because like I, and I, I see Ethan Mollick post stuff like this all the time, where he'll like will add in like a new feature to like what OpenAI systems can do or Microsoft systems or Google systems can do and like now they're like reading pictures yeah and and you're able to you know ask it to write like code that will recreate like a chart you see in a picture and that kind of thing um have have you started to see like the killer app use cases of ai yet or has the bubble popped somewhat in your opinion okay so i think that gen ai has revolutionize or will revolutionize how we think about technology and how we interact with technology, what we Mm -hmm. expect from it, Mm -hmm. this sort of thing. Um, I think that when it was first released, we'll we'll, we'll call it like what October of last year, maybe September, somewhere around then fall time, been about a year approximately. Um, There was some confusion. It, It felt like a way to get recipes from, you know, the AI and like people don't really know what to do with it. Everybody but, got it to write a freaking poem. Yeah, like, yeah. Write or, a poem about people analytics as if you were Mark Twain. Like, okay. Exactly, exactly. In the style of uh, Shakespeare, yeah. write me a, a sonnet on Easy E and NWA. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> whatever, whatever you're gonna ask it. Um, but I think since that time, like people, people had their fun for a couple months, and then like the like tech underbelly really took off now Mm -hmm. we're seeing people do like crazy stuff with it like now you can implement other sort of add-ons to chat gbt and all these other systems everyone's developing their own llm everyone's got a new system it's getting bigger and bigger more tokens allow you to read more data in i.e like claude.ai you can read in entire dissertation entire book have it Mm -hmm. summarize it all um it's it's going to be totally revolutionary. I, yeah. I think that people got a little taste of it and didn't really understand how to use it, but they will. I, I've got two questions about it. I just want to get your perspective. One is, um, 
I've been saying this. Lately. I don't I actually don't think it's going to be like the chat GBTs of the world that really end up being the revolutionary thing that happens. They were revolutionary when they came out, but I think it's going to be the way that AI gets embedded into all the other tools that you're already using. Yeah. It's really going to be the revolution. I mean, kind of like adding AI into Ray-Bans. Like, that, who would have thought to do that, right? Yeah, that, that's the Gen <clears throat> AI right there. Like, hey, yeah, ostensibly, chat GPT, how can I fix my sync? Sure. Well, here you go, step by step. When I was talking to somebody the other day that wrote a book on people analytics, and they, I don't know how they found this out, but they said that they found out that their book was what one of the few books that trained chat GPT on people analytics <laughs> and they weren't, they weren't compensated for it. They weren't notified that that was happening. And uh, I was like, how does that make you feel? And I think they were sort of torn. They were like, well, this is really cool. Cause I am really influencing what people think about this into posterity, uh, but I also didn't get any royalties from it. Um, and that kind of thing. I was like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough thing. I mean, is there a massive difference between writing an article and putting it on, you know, publishing in a journal? Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get so out of my skis here. Uh, but I've heard there's a term in economics, like there's like, a, what is it called? Like a universal good or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember, but it's basically something where almost everything becomes free over time. Right. And so what it's like books used to cost money, but now if you put it online or you put it in chat GPT, now it's free. And like music, you know, we talked about like Napster and stuff like that before it became free. And so it's, it's like a real problem that once you kind of like take stuff out there and essentially the price goes to zero, um, if you're trying to make money off something. They, they also, it, it is sort of insidious because they also kind of pull the ladder up on people too. So you take all this free content in the world, build your model you didn't pay anything for that and now you start charging people for it and your company's exactly. worth billions of dollars eh, yep. doesn't feel right but i mean like where are they gonna get that content where are they gonna get quality content that's the other issue is like one person uh let's say the, the it's probably not but let's say the entire like uh uh open ai is based that all their knowledge on people analytics is based on this one book great Maybe there's other perspectives. I don't know anything about this book or this hypothetical person. It better be a good book. It better be a good book. That's that's the point. Yeah. Yeah, it better <laughs> be. But who knows? It's likely not. Well, here, here's the next thing in the grab bag. Uh, you are an interview master. Am I? <laughs> I don't know. As, as you claim, you're, you're a former master. You're like a... Uh, I'm a tolerable uh, person. You're an emeritus. You're an interview emeritus. <laughs> Uh, do you have any job interview tips for uh, the youngins out there? What would what would you say? Like they're gonna go get their job. What would you say they do? Uh, this isn't an interview tip, but somebody I, is the only reason why it's top of mind. Is somebody was asking me about this yesterday. They were talking about putting different kinds of like metrics on their resume, and they're like, "What's gonna be most effective?" And I'm like, "I'm the last person you should ask about this." <laughs> and they were like, "Why?" And I, I said. Because the only thing I look for when I'm hiring on a resume is relevant experiences. I don't care about credentials. I don't care about, you know, certifications. I don't care about, you know, a lot of this stuff. All I care about is relevant experiences that seem transferable to the job. And so I look for those things. And if I don't see them, I'm like, all right, pass. If I do see them, I'm like, all right, I want to learn more. Because then I move from can they do the job to, and I think we talked about this our last call and Scott, like, 
are they a cool person to hang out with? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, can I, can you tolerate me? Can I tolerate you? Are we going to work well together? Is this like a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts kind of situation? And that's really what I'm looking for. <laughs> I mean, this very uh, Sackett of you, this uh, revised Sackett article where they like dethroned cognitive ability and kind of went straight for the structured interview, looking for those sort of job experiences and man, finding someone that you can actually tolerate and work with. That's, that's hard. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I wouldn't say I completely dethrone cognitive ability by any means. I, I do look for people that are, you know, intelligent and, and I think there's a correlation between those things and being skilled in a lot of things like oh, yeah. you, and learning agility. I know you've brought that up before on the podcast. And I mean, I think there's a relationship between a lot of these things and they're probably not the unitary constructs that we really, you know, say that they are in the confirmatory factor analysis sense, but they bleed into other areas. And so I'm looking again at the holistic person, not just the one factor about themselves. Have you ever like seen someone just like totally derail themselves in an interview? Like, Oh just, yeah. Oh, what'd they do? What'd they do? Come on. Give me some. Well, it's just painful. You see like, I mean, we, I try to caveat on you. Like I said earlier, I'm probably getting ahead of my skis here. <laughs> I'm talking about, <laughs> I don't know about. Well, this is a fictitious person. It may yeah, be a conglomerate totally. of many people. It's a conglomerate of many people. It's just, you see somebody, they say something, you ask them one question and the whole house of cards falls down. Right. They're like, <laughs> like, so they went to Wikipedia, learned yeah. their one bit and were like, I don't know. Anything yeah. beyond that. I'm a one trick pony. This is all I got. I'm <laughs> spitting it out there. Hopefully you don't ask me anything. You asked something <laughs> and now I'm unraveling. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a cognitive ability for you right there. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what do you, you've been through interviews. I don't know how many interviews you've conducted and that type of thing, but what, what do you look for? What's your eye side from the IO psychology perspective? Like what's your eye side perspective on a lot of this? Uh, well, it depends on the job in question and sort of like the rubric that you're presented with or you develop, uh, you know, obviously looking for the right educational background, looking for uh, people that have the, it was more technical job, you know, people that have those sort of basic skills or like teachable skills uh, as well as like just communication ability. And once again, like, just like, are they going to fit in with the rest of the group is pretty imperative. Right. Yeah. Well, how say like from not just in an interpersonal sense, like I think we all like as human beings, it's like, it's not fun when you work with somebody and they like hate you or something like that. That's no fun. But like from in like an academic sense and like what the research says, why is it important? And like, what are some of the constructs that get measured when it comes to things like being able to get along? Being able to get along? Or, or being able to work well with others. Well, I mean, like, uh, just off the top of my head, man, I feel like I'm like dissertation defense right here. But, like, yeah, okay, like, let's go. <laughs> I was trying to lead the witness uh, a little bit. Oh, oh sorry. Well, like, I mean, you're talking about, like, psychological safety. You're talking yeah. about uh, PO fit. Uh, you're talking... Um, OCBs, organizational citizenship behaviors. Yeah. But really, just, like, don't destroy the fucking team. <laughs> Like, don't, like you may be the best performer on earth, but we can't have you wrecking the entire team. Absolutely. One person is not that. worth it. I don't know, man. What do you, um, 
I was at, so we had a DFW people analytics meetup earlier this week, which was a lot of fun. Um, I saw that you were at one of the three letter companies, right? Uh, three letter. You mean like the CIA? Well, I mean, there's, there's 26 other letters, but, um, it was AT&T. There you go. They have a pretty cool team. They're doing some (laughs) cool stuff. I was impressed. The thing that came up that somebody asked me, they're like, oh, I haven't caught up to your episodes on the podcast. And I was like, yeah, I mean, well, you should. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they were like, well, I guess I bet you guys have covered the whole, like, what happened at the Supreme Court with affirmative action a bunch. I was like, we absolutely have not covered that. <laughs> and I, what what did happen? I don't know. Well, they, they in college admissions, they overturned uh, affirmative action, um, which I guess was put oh, in place in like, oh. the 1960s. And um, and then there's been a whole bunch of stuff about like legacy admissions uh, being, you know, removed as a consequence of affirmative action being removed and everything. But I was talking, I was trying to find um, some employment lawyers that wanted to talk about this, like from like a legal perspective, because like, I mean, I can talk about it as like a human being, but I don't know anything about the law. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, there's like, all sorts of statutes and uh yeah previous decisions that weigh into all this or they have precedence yeah i guess i mean it just it seems like there's like this wave of um stuff that's going through the the world as a consequence of that ruling and it's um it's really interesting and fascinating from that perspective i don't know anyway now we talk about it so we're good there you go we got we that nailed, it. Checked. nailed, nailed it. it the the tech boys do it again um no, like I remember my uh, Griggs versus Duke Power. Yeah, I remember, uh, I remember Duke r- Power Railway. I, <laughs> I forget all my court cases. <laughs> I used to like be able to rattle these off. There's like twenty of them. I used to be able to do it. It's all been boiled down to like one citation. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. So um, this is super embarrassing, but I'll say it on a podcast that people listen to because that's dumb of me. Uh, I remember doing my dissertation, or not my dissertation, um, the comps exam. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was this one citation that I had for like all the major court cases and one of the particular questions I was answering. And I did a find replace on it, like because Uh, I, and I typed it in wrong on the replace. So it replaced it on all the different citations. And I almost didn't pass because of that single find replace. The professors were all like, you cited this one thing over and over <laughs> and it was not the right citation. Do you, you know what the right citation is? And I was like, yes, I'm sorry. That was a fat finger. I messed it up. My bad. But yeah, that, that was, it's, it's, it's funny in retrospect. It was not funny when it was happening at the time. Uh, it was very stressful. Here's a, I, I love that. Uh, here, here's a uh, guy that has traits of high performers. This is one man's, uh, impressions of what he looks for in high performers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've hired 90 plus high performers the last three years. Here are my eight traits I like to see in every high performer, or I see in every high performer. Uh, one, grit. So Angela Duckworth sort of stuff there. Okay. Uh, relentlessness, resourcefulness. That's hard to say. Relentlessness, resourcefulness, optimism. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. There's nothing worse than someone that just likes a naysayer to everything. Like you think that they're cynical and smart at first is like, no, you're just a piece of shit. You just don't see any possibilities. Was it you? I think you shared something about that the other day that maybe I saw it somewhere else. 
but like cynical people are seen as smarter, but actually they're not smart or something like that. Like there was some research on that. Yeah, I mean, and I think it boils down to I, I don't know. I, I know the the research you're referring to, and I think I shared it with you. Um, yeah. but I didn't actually read it. I imagine it's got to boil down to like openness, uh, just openness in general, like like people... openness to experience, like from the Big Five. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, personality trait that these people just don't see the possibilities, always see the negative and everything, and like, oh man, there, there's a quote, some of the effect of. Uh, uh, I don't fear, I think it's uh, Churchill, I, I don't fear uh, action, I fear inaction, which is what you get with a bunch of naysayers around you. There's people that like, oh, that'll never work. It's like, okay, well, the end goal is nothing. Like, I, I don't understand the fucking point here. What are we doing? Yeah. Did that make, did that make any sense, my little diatribe? No, it does. Um, I think, I mean, it, it kind of comes back to, I mean, I like your point on openness, really. Um, because I think I, I I see the good in everything. Like yeah. probably probably to a fault. Like I see where I, I work with a bunch of smart people, and like I see like oh you mm-hmm. got this angle, and like I could see how that would work and this sort of stuff. And I'll bring it back to like um like doing good science. I, I've heard multiple people say that what is upstream of doing really effective science is curiosity. Yeah. Right. All right. And are you like insatiably curious? And the people that have that insatiable curiosity are just in the long run going to be more effective scientists than the people who are like, all right, science is a closed book. Everything is you know, mm-hmm. settled. We know everything. Um, and I think if you, if you become cynical or you are not open to some of these things, you just really shut yourself off from the potential to learn. Now, I'm going to contradict myself right away here um, yeah. and say, like, usually when I go to a conference, I almost never learn anything anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think it's because of the conferences, not because of me and my cynicism. Uh, well, you're, you're a different animal, too, in that, like, you consume so much people analytics specific material that yeah. probably 99% of it you've heard before or at least some version of it it's hard to produce new information this way um it i really I was, is I, yeah. I was part of a reading group that would like cover uh, psych or innovation articles and like it devolved into like the entire group just shitting on the methods of all these articles to the point <laughs> where it's like this isn't fun anymore like yeah like it's not a perfect study there's no perfect study out there and like you can nitpick anything but how can we actually use some of these insights? You don't want to use bad data. You don't want to use bad insights based on total like frivolous methodology. But <laughs> some of this translates. Plus, like we're dealing with people data, which yeah. is wildly sort of fuzzy at best. Well, it's safer to criticize around the margins. Yeah. You know? Like I, one of the things that people that are, um, like I, I very rarely get feedback on the articles I write anymore other than like, Oh, I loved it, which is like nice, but kind of unhelpful too. Um, and one of the things that somebody told me is like, Cole, for a person in people analytics, you almost never include analytics in your articles. And I'm like, yes, you get it. And the mm-hmm. reason why is first of all, is to get around those type of criticisms, like say, Hey, mm-hmm. oh, the nitpicking here, nitpicking there. Oh, you did this. You didn't carry the one. Oh, you yeah. don't know anything. You didn't use this crazy correction. Um, but the other is 
I, I'm in the currency of ideas and ideas. And again, back to that point of like insatiable curiosity, all of those things are upstream of good science. And, and so most of the time, my criticisms of a scientific study aren't necessarily in the methods because I know I've mentioned it probably multiple times on here. It's like, um, I think it was Alec Levinson who taught me this. One of his professors said, if you can't replicate a, a complex finding from a table of averages, like a cross tab, essentially, if you can't replicate it from a cross tab, it's probably not a real finding, right? Which means that most of the time, fancy methods, oh, there are instances where they're useful, yeah. but if you can't replicate something in a very simple way, it's probably not real. And so if you're upstream of that, it's like, I want to present the framework within where good science can occur. So that's what I write about is like, hey, here's some big concepts that you should be thinking about. And when I'm evaluating what other people have written, I'm like, are you addressing big concepts that are helpful? Are you just staying in this super narrow, mm -hmm. not going to hurt a flea type of, of area that like isn't really generalizable? I am much more in a fan of big ideas and, and bad methods than the, you know, like small ideas and, you know, ironclad methods. Well, yeah, I don't even know about bad methods. Like you, you work backwards from the idea. Like yeah. sometimes that idea works backwards to a, uh, I don't know, a T test. <laughs> like, yep. and th that's what you need. You don't need some sort of like crazy analysis to do this sort of stuff. And like oh, yeah. to your point, like, and I know it's slightly different than the point that you're making. If it's not going to pass a chi-square, it's not going to pass some crazy analysis mm -hmm. either. Oh, yeah. I haven't said this in a while, but um, back when I was doing a lot more data analysis, I had this theory that I can answer any scientific question with box plots. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I, I think that's true. Like, I think almost every big question you want to answer <laughs> can be answered with box plots. Like, it's because you can do t-tests, chi-squares, ANOVAs. You can kind of visualize regressions if you wanted to. Like, a lot of different scientific tests you can do with box plots. So, I'm a fan. Well, I think that uh, goes along with constant learning. Who's this guy's, uh, I don't know, like fourth or whatever trait of uh, high performers. Uh, not be an asshole, which. Hey, this, uh, that's what we were just talking about. Can you get along with others? Okay, here's another one. Fun to be around. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're yeah. spending eight hours a day with this person. They got to be fun. Yeah. Boy, have you ever had someone that's like a stick in the mud? I mean, like not, not necessarily a naysayer. Not necessarily op not optimistic, but pessimistic. I guess would be the opposite there, but just <laughs> not fun. Yeah, some people have accused me of being that. Oh, they're gonna say me. I'm that's, just gonna let that true. go. I'm gonna let that ship sail. Sail away. <laughs> okay, here we go. We'll, we'll get through this. Uh, growth mindset enjoys responsibility. That's a pretty interesting one, uh, which is good. Like you really need a team player. Well, say more about that. Like, did they have a description uh, let's, of let's it? Let's see. Uh, enjoys responsibility. I need my team to take responsibility. I don't want to chase people down. If they take ownership of their work, care about doing a good job, uh, will perform better and uh, have uh, way more breathing room and feel more at ease. So you just need yeah. to be able to depend on somebody, right? I mean, that, that seems pretty basic. I think that's one of the things I qualitatively assess. It's like, can someone take ownership, right? Like, because, um, and I even have this on my LinkedIn profile at the top about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Mm -hmm. um, autonomy is like a baton you hand off to someone. 
Um, and they, they only get the positive benefits from autonomy if somebody wants to take ownership of their work. If they if they're deflecting ownership of their work, it's like never hang, never carrying the baton, never passing it on. And so I'm always looking for someone who demands to have ownership because then I can give the autonomy that they crave. Boy, like I'm drawing parallels in my mind. I, I love that so much. I love this like baton reference that you you're handing something over to somebody. But this is mm -hmm. also the meaning in life or meaning in work, finding meaning in your whole responsibility. Like people are counting on me. I am doing this. I am achieving sort of things for other people. We're a cohesive group. All that sort of stuff is just hell. I mean, like humans evolved on the Serengeti and these like kind of small groups to like work closely and uh, trade in between them when necessary. And I think we see this in the work setting as well. And if you got someone that just cannot be counted on, <laughs> well, stick them out in the middle of the, uh, uh, planes let the cheetahs get them <laughs> yeah i mean the, the banishment used to be a form of punishment and it was like <laughs> for real <laughs> it was like up there with death now you uh uh you, you put them in the basement like the guy with the red stapler from off his face just banish him oh, yeah. to the basement have you um speaking of that have you there was a series a few years ago on netflix i'm actually re-watching right now called mind hunter have you ever seen that i've never heard of this okay so it's about um i, I don't actually they don't actually like have like a, a explanation of it but i'm gonna give like i think the reason why they created this show is there was this fbi unit back in like the i guess the 70s who invented the term serial killer and so what they did is they, they, I guess there apparently was a time not that long ago where the name serial killer didn't exist. Like they just didn't have a term for it. Mm -hmm. And so they were going around and interviewing what they used to call like violent offenders. Um, and, um, and then eventually they realized like, oh, some of these crazy motherfuckers, <laughs> they're, they're killing people over and over again and they're doing it for sexual reasons. Right. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and so, Why'd your voice change right there for a second? I don't know. That, that was making, I thought I was trying to make it funny. <laughs> it's like funny. italicized it. I love it. Exactly. And, and so it goes around like kind of studying the evolution of how they the, the FBI brought science to an unscientific area. Okay. And it is a really, really... The only reason why I'm rewatching it, I'm not like one of these murder mystery type people. It's a really good comparison to the evolution that people analytics made. Going from being like completely unscientific to a scientific discipline and like the stumbles that they run into. Like, I remember there's this one episode where they, they go into an audience group and they got like, uh, with like some of the senior leaders in the FBI and they get super scientific on them. They're like, and they start using all these jargony mm -hmm. terms and the leaders of the FBI, like were like, you see their eyes gloss over and the, the, the thing that they're asking for, for more resources get shot down. And I was like, that's people analytics in a nutshell, folks. <laughs> you went into the executive group, you hit them with jargon. They didn't yeah. listen to you and they turned you away. <laughs> well, I mean, like you could go back to the, the foundations of just psychology in general. Like Freud noticed these issues in these women in Vienna. And it's like, well, let's kind of poke around. Let's like invent methods to identify this sort of stuff. And like, you know, I, I think that a lot of those things that, uh he came up with were cons are considered hokey today but i mean he was no dummy either there's lots of interviewing lots of iteration and like that's how we get progress right 
Well, I think I've gone full circle on Freud because by the time I got into psychology, it was very in vogue, like in like a psych 101 class to say like, we acknowledge that Freud existed, but he was an idiot and none of yeah. his findings were ever true. And so I actually know very little, <clears throat> like almost nothing about what Freud actually came up with other than like the Oedipus complex or something like that. Yeah. And, but what, what I'm learning over time is actually Freud had a lot of like brilliant things. I just didn't know what they were just because I had this initial bias from people who taught me. It's like a, a lot of qualitative research, right? Like he interviewed these people and like identified common patterns across different people, like electric complex or yeah. uh, the devouring mother, like all these sort of, like, of course, cigar, you know, the sort of things like that are hokey, of course. Remember, but I listened to a podcast with Bob Hogan on there, who's the person who developed the Hogan personality assessment. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised how much he credited almost like so many aspects of the Hogan assessment, which is considered one of the top assessments mm -hmm. scientifically from Freud directly. I mean, he had this whole episode on Freud and then another one on Jung, which is another person I know very little about um, that gets poo-pooed on a lot. But I was like, I, I, I don't know a lot of these kind of psychological concepts came from Freud and Jung. And, and, and that, you know, I can get, you know, egg on my face for saying that out loud publicly, but that's the truth. Well, I mean, that, that's not what you're trained on anymore, right? You're not uh, trained on it at all. No, no. Um, Jung, uh, it's like a lot of like the shadow sort of stuff and this sort of thing, which is where the uh, like MBTI was derived, not by him, by people that just had like ideas about his work and they drive yeah. the MBTI. Typologies. Yeah, yeah. Now it survives. Um, I, going back to what you were saying earlier about uh, P-Planics, though, uh, man, I remember this quote, studying for comps. You're just, you're just reading voraciously and like going mm -hmm. everywhere. I, it was an I-side book, so uh, industrial side book. And they're, I think I think they were talking about job analysis and they're like they're talking about, you know, the methods, methods that they use and like, you know, doing all those sort of things. And the one quote that they said that like stuck in my head is like, we don't know what we're doing, but we're doing it carefully. <laughs> so like, <laughs> going through all these methods, but we're doing it very carefully. No, and that that's a perfect description also of the Mindhunter show. Like it really is. They're like, <laughs> yeah, they're really exactly. careful, but they have no freaking clue what they're doing. <laughs> Uh, can I give you my orientation to serial killer? Sure. I, I'm, I'm triggered by this term because my you my, are yes, yes, and, and not for the reason that people might think. Okay. Uh, I, <laughs> I thought uh, it was because when I was a kid that they named it after like cereal that you eat at breakfast. That's kind of where I'm going. My first no. like corporate job, it was a Halloween, and I had the most killer. Pardon the pun. Halloween costume, which was I had this like Prozac shirt, and I yeah. had a uh, uh, a lays on like a, a flower lay, mm -hmm. and like a big like Hawaiian hat, and I was a tropical depression, and I thought that was ah! very I thought that was very <laughs> clever, and this chick I thought fucking... you were going to say you're happy sad. <laughs> no, that's not as good. Tropical yeah. depression, and this chick fucking pasted cereal boxes on her shirt and like put a knife through it and she was a serial killer and she won mm. and i'm still bitter because i didn't think that was very creative you should be that is not good <laughs>
Halloween is coming up. Are you what are you are you dressing anything crazy this year? I hate dressing up for Halloween, honestly. I'm I'm still scarred by this serial killer thing, man. Yeah. I was like, this is the final straw. No more Halloweens. No more fun to be had ever. Final straw. No, I, I think I've told you this before. Like when I was like 19 or 20, I really wish that I invested like eight hundred, a thousand dollars into like a killer stormtrooper outfit. Like, there he goes like, with killers again. Yeah, I mean, like, sorry, now, now I'm perseverating on the word. Uh, but yeah, just like a really nice stormtrooper outfit, and then you can just—that's what you—that's what you wear. Like, and if you want to like put a lay on it, you want to put a little hat on it, whatever you want to do. But that's what you are, <laughs> and that's what you got, and like, no choices are needed in the future because you know I like to live my life like uh, Zuckerberg and just wear the same thing every day, as you probably see. We well, yeah, wear the. The new Ray-Ban sunglasses, as if you were a Zuckerberg, you would be inclined to do. The thing I would struggle with with buying the <laughs> the Halloween costume, though, um, is I don't know if I have something that I would like for that long, right? I, I go up and down on things. Like if I like, I used to really love Star Wars a long time ago. I could take it or leave it now. You know, it's I think I'm kind of past that point in my life. Well, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Of like, you only know in retrospect what's still going to be popular, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like why I see people with a lot of tattoos. I'm like, I don't know about that, man. That's yeah. a bold choice when you're. I saw somebody who had like a had a downtown Dallas skyline tattoo, <laughs> and I was like, what if they build a new building? <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna go and add it into your tattoo later? Like, what are you doing, man? That'd be pretty awesome. That'd be pretty yeah. awesome, like just a never-ending tattoo. Uh, what the hell are we talking about? Oh yeah, no, uh, this is the real podcast. This, this is how it goes. Uh, here, I'll do one more. Why not? Uh, this one article says, uh, "Find two good ideas and choose the best one. Stop spinning your wheels." And I got another one that says, uh, "Gathering more information doesn't help you make up your mind." So I got kind of like two parallel ideas here so i'm not sure i understand explain it to me in in words that i'll 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 understand yeah okay so let me put it this way like more information does not help you make a choice faster or better really oh yeah for sure yeah yeah well we talked about this before but um i made the job switching um index um that is a way of like um evaluating whether a job would be useful or not useful that was a complete um the reason why i built it was the there was Wait. too much information there was too much information i i was like in information overload i couldn't make a decision between like one job offer or another or switching from my current job and i was like i have to find a way of taking this vast amount of information about the experiences and the money and the what, yeah. value, what matters to me in my life and boiling down to like a few numbers that then i can compare and like it, it, it's we are not capable but br- briefly tell people this because like this is like one of the you and i talked about this i don't know about like five years ago at this point and like, i was like yeah. that, that is freaking genius it's core io and just just very very briefly what is it well it's evolved over time it used to be much simpler now like as i got married and as i had children it's it's evolved a lot more into comp- comparing different life components mm. but like to make it simple like when it started out 
it was a third, a third, a third. So I had, I think, something like 20 variables uh, that you might compare for a particular job. The first third were monetary. The second third was about the role itself and the people you would work with. And then the final third was about my life outside of work, <clears throat> right? And I would have numerical scores for every one of these like 20 components. And then I would have, um, I created an index, much like the Dow Jones Industrial Index or S&P 500 of indexing and being able to weight the different variables according to how they ch my preferences changed over time. So mm -hmm. maybe earlier in my career, I weight my base salary much higher than I do now because of things like variable compensation. So I changed the weights on them over time as a way of evaluating. Again, it's too much information. How yeah. do you compare it all? Like, how do you compare even one company's benefits to another company's benefits? It's really challenging. You, you do make some sort of holistic judgment. You get like one shot at this. Exactly. And, and so I needed a way of, of boiling that all down because it used to really stress me out. Like if I get, you know, a job offer. It's like, what am I going to do? I don't know. Is it the right decision? Is it the wrong decision? Am I going to have buyer's remorse? Like what, what's going on here? And, and it just really helped give me some solace. And the other thing, and this is where I think actually might be, from my personal perspective, might be the most interesting thing about it is I went back and recalibrated it <laughs> after I would start with a job. Like, and so I'd say, okay, I thought that this meant more to me than it yeah. actually did or less. And the scores would change. And some, I mean, there was actually real jobs where I was like, I shouldn't have taken this one. This was a bad call <laughs> <laughs> because of the recalibration. And I think that's really important as you, I mean, I think there's a lot of applications to how we do people analytics. It's like, you don't just do the scientific project and then present it. You should recalibrate afterwards based on the findings and from the real world. I think it's directly applicable. I think it's so uh, applicable. And in fact, like I, I used the modified version of this clearly to purchase my last house. Like you go see a million places, they all, you know, ostensibly they all have four walls and a roof. But I mean, like what elements are important to you? What elements do you want? What elements do you not care about? Or like nice to have, yeah. but must haves, this sort of thing. And <laughs> mine's a lot easier it's like i have a checklist of things that m my wife demands and if it doesn't pick <laughs> all of them we're not doing it <laughs> like no we're not moving yeah we're not moving uh i don't know bud it's like what 48 after you want to do some nerdery well did you have a confusion matrix i would be curious if uh if you had something and I don't have anything backing up to this so if you want to do a marathon we can because i feel like we're actually kind of hitting our stride Let's go long. The Confusion Matrix. Uh, let's see. I can cobble one together real quick. Uh, okay, here you go. We'll do a Waffle House, but you got to pick a number for a Waffle House. You got one through six. Pick any one you want. We're combining stuff. We're doing pick a number. Yeah. We're doing Waffle Houses. What are we doing? The, the, the craziness. Uh, so it's between one and six I have to pick? Uh, one and six. And like this is just me being lazy and not wanting to like search through this. So. Five. Five. Okay. Uh, would you rather never have to sleep again and have more time for your activities or be able to eat anything without any health repercussions? So would you rather uh, never have to sleep again? Like it's like so easy. <laughs> it's like eat whatever I want with no repercussions, obviously. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's make it a true waffle. Like, what if like you gained it back like 10 years later? Like, yeah, you, you can eat it. You're going to look 
fit Ooh. right now, but like 10 years from now, it's all I like, like all that pizza, all that pasta. It's all coming back to you. Yeah, it's like a delayed gratification problem. It's like, yeah, I can have or like a like the balloon payments on a mortgage. Yeah. You know? So I'm going to have a great first few years, but oh, man, I'm it. really screwing myself in the future. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess you could say smoking cigarettes or something like that, too. <laughs> um, but do you think you're going to live 10 years? I guess is the first question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really like you better pull out those actuarial tables. Because yeah. uh, if I'm not living 10 years, I'm going to live this thing up. What about? OK, we'll say like 20, 20 years. We'll say like 20 years. Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, I mean, I'm kind of going this on the, through this on a personal front. I'm trying to lose some weight, <laughs> you know? And the whole reason is I don't want to die when I'm like 50 years old. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah, I'm definitely sacrificing today to have benefits in the future. So I, I, de- I am very much, I even, I've talked about this with some prior bosses before and is uh, I'm like almost pathologically on the delayed gratification train of like make a sacrifice today, but you'll get benefits in the future. And I I had to get off of that after I left grad school because I started, I lived like a grad school for like years after that. And it was like completely unhealthy for no reason. Like I had no reason to be doing it, but I was like, oh, I'm waiting until, you know, later when this will all pay off. It's like, no, at some point you have to start gratifying yourself, you know, or it's not worth it. Um. I don't know. Do you experience that at all? Yeah, I had the exact same orientation for a really long time where I I really had to consciously loosen up the purse strings and like, oh, like you you want this. It's okay. It's okay to get it. Like, it's not going to break you, you know, this sort of stuff. Obviously, you don't want to like overdo it. But I mean, like, you got to live your life, man. Like, it's got to be worth something. Well, it was like, I was so worried. Like, I'm like, when I get old, am I going to have any money? I got to make sure I set aside money for retirement and things like <laughs> it's that. And it's, like, it's like, yeah, but do you want to live your whole life in tatters just so that when you're old, you don't live in tatters? Like, it's it seems very, I don't know, some kind of like weird bargain we're making with ourselves. Living like that can be like really expensive too, just because like the, mm-hmm. the quality doesn't last, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you essentially wind up living with, you know, mix match furniture or like shit that just falls apart. And he's got like a smattering of patchwork of things. I, I got a question for you. This is sort of waffle housey. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, would you rather go see like the Grand Canyon or like whatever, whatever like scenic thing that you've never seen before? Okay. Like Yosemite or maybe it's like a beautiful building. You like architecture or maybe it's a painting or have a really good conversation with like your best five friends. What if you had to choose between those two things, what would you choose? I don't think I have five friends or whatever, you know. <laughs> That's my... Yeah. Uh okay, so like I experience this quite regularly. So like past couple of years gone to Europe by myself, gallivanting around, seeing mm-hmm. amazing things absolutely amazing things and it's super cool like you go and like you you plan your own day and like if you want to take a break you take a break if you want to get going you get going uh all this sort of stuff but there's no one to share it with yeah i remember this was a while ago no no one will ever understand what you're talking about you can tell them but they will never understand they will never understand it yeah 
I remember you were saying something about like you went to like Amsterdam or something and you visited this like famous physicist's house that happened to be across the street from uh, Prague. Uh, Prague, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I, th- I don't know why I think about that sometimes. I was like, because there was a point in time in my life where I really like looked into like doing that. I love that kind of stuff. I wanted to see like all these amazing things. And I'm now for some reason, I don't know what like kind of like light switch went off in my life. All I really care about is like having cool conversations with my friends. Yeah. Like I would choose that over seeing the Grand Canyon anytime. <clears throat> and like, I don't, maybe it's, I, I bet you, I actually, I think I know what it is. I think it's, um, working from home from the pandemic onward and not seeing people all that yeah. often as, as much as you used to. Like I really crave really highly authentic interactions with cool people. That's why seeing you up in Seattle and doing that dinner we did at PSYOP this past year, it was just so fucking amazing. Like I would do that a million times over than, you know, I mean, not like life has to be that way, but we're waffle housing it, right? You can't see the Grand Canyon. You can't hang out with your friends or go hang out with your friends at the Grand Canyon, right? <laughs> we combine the two. Yeah, uh, I think that's a health. That's a super healthy perspective, especially as you get older. Where it's harder to make friends, it's harder to maintain relationships because people are doing their own thing, and you really need that social support. Especially men. Men don't have it as much as yeah. women. I think women are more social by nature we're talking in general terms obviously and like seek out these sort of connections men not so much and i think that it's easy to just let it uh wither away this sort of thing yeah, have you ever seen the grand canyon or... you ever been ever been to the grand canyon mm-hmm. yeah that's beautiful i mean it's 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 one of the few things that lives up to its hype you know like Sorry. it is as it is as magnificent as people say it is like a lot of times like oh my god i saw this thing it was so amazing you go there it's like it's not that amazing i'm sorry um but the grand canyon is like that um, yeah they don't call it the meh canyon <laughs> i don't know why that's so funny to me um but- imagine like in like the 19 like 10s people would take a fucking train there and like sit there for like a week like or like they'd go to like Hot Springs, Arkansas. I'd be like, "Hey, skid it, skid We're gonna hang out the Grand Canyon." I don't, I don't like, even wow, know. There's a lot about to... anymore. I do love Hot Springs too, um, but <laughs> that part of Arkansas is totally underrated. By the way, Pe- people need to go. Absolutely. Um, I was thinking, kind of back to your point about uh, men. I think one of the quotes that I, I don't think most women understand this is that. Most men leave lives of quiet desperation. Have you ever heard that quote? I I really think it's true. Like we need each other. We need those friendships. It's hard to have them, but and when you do have them, it's it's freaking amazing. It's honestly, I'm really glad. One of the reasons why we do this podcast, and one of the things that I think sort of drives you crazy about me, but I really admire in you is how different we are. Like you have. I just think that you do some of the coolest stuff. Like I've mentioned before, I can never go on vacation by myself and you just like go places and you do things, you go see cool shit. And I'm like, man, that is like really freaking amazing. And I think you just, you're such a generative dude. You're very creative. You're like the whole reason why we have all these different segments, like the nerdery and the confusion (laughs) matrix and waffle house. Like, I I don't know. I just love that about you. Oh, well, thanks man. Really appreciate that. 
The end. No. The end. There, there was one thing I was <laughs> you. Oh, oh, oh! Check this out. Just because, like, we're talking about the differences in men and women. Let's see if I can pop it open real quick. Here, will, will you? We're the technology bros today, right? Here, you. You keep saying that. Where did that come from? <laughs> I have no idea. There's the actual link. So it's the differences in perceptions of attractiveness of men and women. So from mm-hmm. the other side. So women perceive themselves just about as attractive as men see them. Right. Mm-hmm. So like uh, if men see as an eight, they think they're an eight. They think you're a six. You're probably a six. Uh, if you think men think that you're a nine, ten, you're, you think of yourself as a nine, ten. Women think of men about half as attractive as men perceive themselves. I think <laughs> I think no truer words have ever been spoken. This is so funny. Like, so no wonder the, the two can't. I mean, like, and granted, like, women are the fairer sex. I mean, let's let's get real here, right? Yes, we are. Oh, you were sharing something. I should, should I have pulled this up? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what to me. Oops, <laughs> a little bit late. Sorry. I'll share it real quick just so that people can the see other it. the other way they put it here is uh, men see themselves as twice as attractive as women view them, which also resonates. All right, so they're twice. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like the inverse of it. I mean, I guess I, I bet you there's a lot of uh, a lot of similarities to attractiveness and other concepts of being self aware, like competence. And, you know, you know, skills at sports. (laughs) Like, I feel like this, this could cut across a lot of different variables, not just attractiveness. You remember playing sports when you were a kid and there would be like this one kid who just thought they were awesome and they just sucked so bad. (laughs) And they would get so mad that people didn't like pick them first in a game because they're like, "Ah, I'm the best. They talk smack and all this kind of stuff. God, those people drove me crazy. Oh my God. There is like in, in children, there, there's like an age is like four, three, four, five, where you ask the entire class, like, who's the fastest runner? They will all raise their hand. Right. Like I'm the fastest, like, and they're clearly different speeds that these kids are running at. <laughs> you gave me a flashback to playing. Uh, I was waiting for some friends to play kickball in Austin. Like we're at this big park. Right. And like they're late or I'm early. I can't remember the deal, but I was sitting there, this guy's like, hey, you want to play horse real quick? He's like, yeah, sure. And, like, I'm just beating him, like, like sinking him, sinking him, sinking him. And then, like, I see the friends, like, oh, okay, just last one wins. And he shoots it, and, like, it goes in. And, like, I kind of throw it up, and it didn't go in. And, like, he, like, strutted away, like, hot shit. Like, he had, like, <laughs> like beat my ass and this, like, horse. Like, dude, didn't you, like, mention the other, like, 15 minutes of – you getting destroyed when you're walking away, like so proud right now. So I hope that guy's doing well right now. <clears throat> He's very confident. I don't know why I had this like flashbulb memory. Uh, but I mean, you, you would talk about like a hiring characteristic that you want someone. Self-awareness, mm-hmm. self-awareness. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. critical. I mean, it, it cuts across all sorts of constructs as well. It does. It, it, I was thinking about that. Like if you wanted, if you had to make like a univariate, prediction of like well-adjusted individuals across any psychological domain or skill-based domain or whatever it may be what is like the number one quality you would look for would be self-awareness for sure every time oh yeah i mean there's nothing worse than like dealing with someone who's like i am definitely like this it's like no No, you're not not. (laughs) (laughs) what world are you living in and that's kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier like 
poor interviewing experiences where the whole house of cards fell down. It's like someone lacks self-awareness. They're like, oh yeah, I know about this subject. And then you ask them one question and it's like, oh, I don't know anything. You, you know what I really dislike in, uh, I see it popping up more and more. And this is once in a, a conglomeration of people, but people that are unwilling to take responsibility uh, for essentially anything. Like, so I, I've been in presentations that have gone like kind of poorly and mm-hmm. like, they, you know, it's like, well, you know, you didn't hit the, you know, mark on the head, this sort of stuff. And like, we're part of a team and like, I'll have members say, not, not my current company, but in the past will say like, well, they shouldn't have like given us a meeting at Monday at nine in the morning. That's their fault. And like, uh, they, <laughs> you know, we didn't have enough time to, you know, do all this sort of stuff. That's their fault. And like, how are we supposed to know? It's like, or we could have like <laughs> prepared better, you know, <laughs> or, you know, yeah. there's all sorts of things that we could like point our own fingers at ourselves, man. Yeah. Like I, I kind of have this, um, rule. Um, I don't really share this. But like when it comes to like doing good work, I always assume that I'm wrong first. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like yeah. like the null hypothesis, mm-hmm. right? And then we we can we can overturn the null hypothesis with data, but let's first assume that I'm wrong, right? I'm almost pathological the same way. Like if like no. there's ever like strife or something like that, it's like what did I do wrong? Like where's my syntax and error? How did I mess this up? And like to your point, yeah, we we can prove that wrong. The day before I was about to go on paternity leave for the first time, I had nine presentations in one day. Nine. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, you know, the, the, the circumstances aren't ideal, but yeah. the people in each one of those presentations I was presenting to didn't know I had eight others that day. And so they fully expected me to have my A game. It's like, yeah, sometimes you got to bring it even when you don't have it. And nor do they care either. Um, have you ever like not gotten a good night's sleep and like you tell people in the call like, hey, sorry, I slept like two hours last night. Yeah, I mean, I, I do that. I mean, like, I feel like there's a certain level where you're at the level as a human being. And yeah. Say like, hey, you know, I, I don't have my my I'm not bringing the juice today. Right, guys. Sorry. But that doesn't that's not like a get out of jail free card for forever exactly right it's like there there that has to be compensated for in another day where me you know bring in the extra juice right well, i mean that's why they call you the juice man <laughs> that's why they call us the tech bros tech just bros. saying uh <laughs> do you want to do nerdery now the nerdery yeah here i'm just scrap all my notes from our uh <laughs> interview portion here we go Okay, we, we learned that Cole will definitely uh, eat all the pizza in the world as long as he can put it off for 20 years. Uh, but this article is called Nothing Inventor, Nothing Gained. Uh, Parasite Infection is Associated with Entrepreneurial Initiation, Engagement, and Performance. So I think probably one of the most fun articles we covered, I think it was on your birthday even, was yeah. this uh, Toxoplasmosa gondii. Uh, so it's a parasite that infects humans. It reprodu- reproduces in cats' bellies, and it's passed on to mice who will intentionally try to get eaten by cats. And that's how you know the whole life cycle works. But humans can get it, and it changes their behaviors. 
and it's really scary, <laughs> right? Incredible. It was like the wildest thing we yeah. ever covered because it was like I was having a moment of reckoning in my mind. It's like how much cat piss did I <laughs> say stay around as a child? Because this parasite is clearly interacting in my life. If I, I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but you know, I'm demonstrating a lot of these behaviors. I think that that article covered uh, toxoplasmosa in relation to org design. So the idea that perhaps you get hooked up with like a leader who is out of their gourd and you're just like unpredictable because they have this sort of toxoplasmosis. Mm. But, you know, it's known to manipulate uh, behavior in humans. Uh, recent research, it suggests it's, uh, let's already say this covers about a third of the world population has this. Third. Well, the, the, this particular study, it talks about it increases the association of becoming an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and linked to outcomes, even including venture performance. So like venture capital um, and it's manipulating antithetical to rational judgment and reasoning. Um, I don't know. It's just a really interesting thought here. It's like, hey, if you are more inclined for risk taking behaviors, is it because of your individual differences or is it because you have this parasite you didn't know about? Yeah, so this is a uh, longitudinal data on female population in Denmark. Uh, toxoplasmosis individuals are 29% more likely to start businesses compared to uninfected, associated with higher, higher probability of founding multiple ventures, uh, starting ventures alone rather than with co-founders, uh, decrease, decrease persistence in these ventures, uh, higher variance in uh, performance over time, but overall higher uh, uh, venture earnings. Exactly. So it kind of highlights the role. That's why I said like, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Absolutely, man. So, I mean, do you think you got it? Do you think you have it? I, I mean, I feel I, like I've been pretty clear on this. I think I, got, <laughs> I think I gotta have it, right? Like, I'm, I'm it would be funny if. After this episode, people started going trying to get it. <laughs> well, I think you, I think you get it. Well, let's ask Chat GBT in the time. But I think you get it from eating uh, meat, like raw meat, which I unfortunately do that quite a bit. Oh. How do you? I thought it was cat meat. Like <laughs> you can get it from dirt too. Oh, even better! Now we're all we've all got it. Yeah. All... Okay, so maybe we need something. Well, Chat GBT is going to town. Maybe uh, for something we can look forward to is like the next time we, we can just take a toxoplasmosis test. <gasps> That's what we have. That's what we're looking forward to. Oh, yeah. The big we, reveal. We got to do it. The do big it. reveal of the toxoplasmosis <laughs> test. Oh, this is we, brilliant. Oh, man. It's, it's kind of like finding out like uh, <laughs> you're like low IQ. Like, what do you do with that information? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, is it good to know? <laughs> I think at a certain point, you don't even realize the magnitude of that finding. So you're just kind of like, well, I guess I'm I'm good. Well, I yeah, I guess I'm good. Okay, here you go. Uh, here's how you get it. Contact with cat feces. Consuming contaminated food or water. Mother to child transmission. So everyone look out there. Uh, organic transplantation or blood transfusion, accidental ingest ingestation, Accident accidentally ingesting the parasite from contaminated environments or surfaces. So I think we're all like susceptible. Clearly, like there's no. I see people out there wearing their masks for COVID. 
<laughs> wait, wait till you gotta wear your gloves and stuff. Oh my god, yeah, like toxoplasmosis prevention programs coming to a school near you. You know, <laughs> got a oh little bio suit, little hazard suit. Yeah, it's dystopian wow. future. Speaking of dystopian futures, you want to talk about driverless robo taxis? Uh, yeah, sure. I got some notes on this somewhere. Uh, all right, I'll just wing it. Uh, so this it's just a video from San Francisco. This guy essentially saying that he has more difficulty getting Ubers than these robo taxis. I think the interesting. So like they, they drive around San Francisco, he calls them, they're cheaper, easier, et cetera, to get around. Um, one of the interesting things he says is like they're easier and cheaper because there's strict rules associated with them. He doesn't get into what that means, but it reminds me of Denmark very much where very strict society, but everything runs super well because of it. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, it was funny because he's talking about the company Cruise. They actually just expanded into Dallas. And one of the people that I met with at the meetup <clears throat> works at Cruise. And they were talking about how cool it is. But the, the strict rule following that they're talking about is actually they abide by like street rules and everything, oh. which no drivers actually abide by. And so you, you actually, you, you get to place from point A to point B at slower than you would in like, let's say an Uber, but <clears throat> it's more reliable than an Uber. It shows up quicker than an Uber. And I mean, that could always change fluctuating with like supply and demand, mm -hmm. I would imagine. But I think it is fascinating to see that the robo taxis are finally here. This is what people have been talking about for a long time with driverless cars. Now they're real. And I remember when Uber came out in Dallas <clears throat> and it was like this, like, and when it first came out, it was like, People are like, oh, I did the coolest thing. I'm gonna, yeah. you, know, you know, get an Uber. But it was before long, you know, it became a verb like Ubering. I'm Ubering somewhere. Yeah. And I would be, I'm curious to see if the adoption of these robo taxis follows the same kind of curve that Uber did when it first came out. The good thing about Uber was it was so much more plentiful. Like, I don't know if you remember, like, 15 years ago. If you wanted to go out and like get a ride somewhere, you had to call a taxi and they got to look it up in the phone book and it's a real pain in the ass. And one of the great things about Uber is it shows you where the car is. I mean, like just a little bit of peace of mind knowing where that car is, is so wonderful. Uh, but slowly over time, Ubers became more and more expensive. Right now, an Uber from uh, Seattle airport to my place, essentially downtown Seattle, 140 bucks minimum. That's insane. In insane. So much so that they have a taxi stand at the airport that says like anywhere in downtown, 40 bucks. I may just start taking taxis again. Just oh, I do that. I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you think about this. Uh, this is one of my strategies for getting in and out of airports quickly. Okay. Um, I always take taxis away from airports and Ubers to the airport. Makes sense. Because there's never a line at the taxi station anymore so you can get them quicker than a ride share um and so i just always just go to the taxi line and then but getting to the airport i'm never going to call a freaking taxi so i take an uber there right but uh, i i cannot wait i've been hearing about the driverless car for eight ten years now and i'm so ready for it just from like like a lot of perspectives really but like i'm here for it yeah, some people are really creeped out by there not being a driver. I, I mean, are you creeped out by a plane? You can't see the cockpit. 
you know, like in a lot of times it's on autopilot or whatever. I mean, that's literally where the term autopilot comes from. So- oh my God. Like one time I took a Uber from uh, the Austin airport to my house there and it was, it was a red eye flight, flew in, landed at, I don't know, 7 a.m., whatever it was. And the driver was, it was a taxi driver, was falling asleep at the wheel. Like to yeah. the point where I was like, well, you know, hey, the stop stop sign coming up, and he's like, oh, you know, I was like, I'm gonna fucking die in this car. I'm gonna die, definitely, because this guy's yeah, falling asleep. That's like a funny video. It's like, who do you trust more, a taxi driver who's falling asleep or a driverless vehicle? Right. I mean, I would choose a driverless vehicle every time. Every time. It, well, I mean, like, okay, let's take it yeah. one step further. Do you trust a driverless vehicle versus common driver? Well, I mean, that's the whole premise. Um, I remember a few years ago, I heard Elon Musk talk about this with uh, with what Tesla's trying to do with like um, autopilot. And it, like he said, like it, people will not accept a driverless car that's just as good as like a normal human being. But how many multiples better or safer does a driver need to be like a driverless vehicle need to be than a normal driver before people will trust them? And apparently it's quite a few multiples. Um, but I, I mean, I, I would, for the most part, if you told me it's five times safer than a common driver, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just driving on the highway, look to your left, look to your right. And there's people wildly distracted, looking at their phone, drifting lanes. Yeah. I, ironically, I think people have actually gotten better at texting while driving. It used to be like, <laughs> I used to see them drifting all over the place. Now they're just, you know, staring at the crotch, but they're better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had one more topic to talk about, which is actually sort of related to the guest we were supposed to have today. Um, so it's not really relevant anymore. And I got the paywall uh, from from the Financial Times, but originally <laughs> I was able to read it. It was a good um, pod. This is a good pod right here. It is. This is this is high quality stuff right here. <laughs> Sorry, Financial Times. I'm not going to pay $189 a year just to serious? read this one article. Yeah. Oh my. But God. Uh, it's it says open science advocates warn of widespread academic fraud. And so, if I remember correctly, what the article was saying, it cited this guy named Brian Nozick. I believe he created the Open Science Institute at Harvard or one of these leading institutions. Um, and I, I may actually try to get him on the podcast eventually, um, because he, he kind of set up this whole wave of like all these reproducibility studies that didn't reproduce. Mm-hmm. And, and they're basically saying now because of a lot of these widespread or not, not a lot of these kind of, um, um, uh, what do you call them? Like high profile instances of academic fraud that have come out recently Yeah, that they're a lot of the, I think the underbelly of the academic, um, you know, publishing industry is being challenged right now because there there might be widespread academic fraud. I mean, Creday talked about how many like thirty to forty percent of articles might just be plain out, you know, fabricated. And I mean, what are we gonna do? Yeah. Like I really like I really want to think about this. Like, what are we going to do in like let's just say IO psychology, let's not even talk about the medical literature or like engineering literature, let's just say IO psychology and like people analytics. If we find out like, let's say half or like, let, let just be generous and say a third of our studies are fraudulent. What are we going to do? Okay. Like, uh, say, say that occurred. What, what would happen? 
what would happen? Would I, I don't even know. I don't even know. I'll tell you what the rational thing to do would be. The rational there's two rational things to do. One is quit trusting any study for the time being. Quit trusting any of them. And then all studies, all the major ones, I would start with like the most impactful ones and then work our way down to the least impactful ones, need to be reproduced using an open science framework just so that we can know what are the things that actually... You're talking about resetting the field. Yeah, reset. We need a complete reset of the field. If Even if it's a third, you've got to reset everything because who knows which third the scientific finding you found was in, right? I mean, if it's... 5% or 2% or 1%, you don't need a, a whole field reset. But if you can't trust a third of the stuff that's out there, that's really concerning. <laughs> really, really concerning. We need to have Kurday back on because like this is his reality, right? Like, like this, he's saying like yeah. 30%. Well, we were supposed just... to have another professor and I was like hoping to get their perspective on it, but yeah. Well, I mean, we can have a lot of perspectives on it, right? I mean, in as, as long as the incentives are set up, we, I don't know, it's going to mm -hmm. ad nauseum at this point, as, as long as the incentives are set up as they are from academic institutions to the publishing industry mm -hmm. to the, like, the end user, you're going to have this sort of stuff. But here's the reason why it's not ad nauseum, Scott. It's because no one else, as far as I can see in our field, is really talking about this. I mean, we had Chris Castile on a while back, and he has like, a column about the open science movement. Um, and, and I, I really support what he's doing out there. Um, but most people are saying, yeah, not a problem. Nope. We're good. Business as usual. It's not business as usual. And I think people need to start recognizing this. And so if, if no one yeah. else is going to say it, we've got to say it. Um, I think this is also where gen AI will, have a really interesting impact one you, you can't control like the data in so if someone's just collecting or fabricating data meh but like Ethan Mollick is doing like really interesting stuff adding code interpreter on top of chat gpt and asking it hey generate novel hypotheses in novel research from this data set and it's doing it. It's not exactly the same as pre-registering your sort of thing, but it is mm -hmm. a mechanical means to derive research, which is also putting us out of business in a lot of ways too. Yeah, not yet though. I mean, no. robo taxis are coming for taxi drivers and Uber drivers for that matter. Um, and ChatGPT is coming for us, but not today, sir. Not today, not sir. Today. Um, well, I think that's probably a good stopping point. This has been sort of a marathon of an episode. Um, any final words, Scott? Yeah, we want to thank our uh, shadow guest for coming on. <laughs> oh, we're naming him now. Oh, cool. oh I'm sorry. All right. Uh, well, Scott, it's been good talking to you, buddy. These are my favorite episodes, so I'm glad we got to kind of have an impromptu one. And uh, you've been listening to Direction Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott. Thanks for listening. As always, all opinions are our own and do not reflect those of any other organization. You've been listening to Directionally Correct, People Analytics Podcast with Colin Scott. 